Hello and welcome to Stories from the Crisp Reviewer. This is Season 4, Episode 12. A regular burger with cheese, please. I'm recording this August 7th, 2021, as it is Season 4, which means 2021. So it's been a while. Uh, an episode mid-June was the last episode we did, which was Episode 11. Planned to do one in July. Actually, planned to do two in July and frankly wasn't quite feeling it and couldn't really get the uh, energy up to really produce an episode that was worthy of uh, recording. And moved a lot of stuff around, had a lot of jobs to do, so my stuff's sort of in self, uh, not really in storage, but it's in in um, boxes to be quickly moved in case of other jobs coming up. <laughs> uh, how life uh, how life turns when you least expect it sometimes. And I'm not saying that in a bad way. These things have been pretty good and pretty cool to do. Been buying some new uh, sound gear, played around with some of it, and it's been fun. I've been taking on more responsibilities with various other organizations related to sound, lighting, and some other stuff. Still a ways away from being really competent in my eyes for that stuff, but it's cool nonetheless. So let's do a quick rundown of the topics we have. Since it has been almost two months since I recorded an episode, oh, we had the residential school of. Uh, ground-penetrating radar and potential grave discoveries and the accountability of all involved that need to be checked on. And that tragedy, the rediscovery of such a tragedy. Then we go on to the church vandalism as a revenge and misplaced anger event that followed these discoveries and the criticism of Canada Day and why Canada should not have pride and Canadians should not have pride in their nations anymore. And these... Um, struggle sessions that may bring help to some, but seem to be at a detriment of others. Then, yeah, I watched the Tomorrow War, and I'll give a quick opinion on it. Uh, Canadian federal election, as well as the Calgary Civic election, are coming up soon. The Delta variant of COVID-19. There's not really much to say on that, besides from it spread a lot of places, it seems to freak a lot of people out. Is it really worse or not? The evidence so far has not been that convincing. Increase of tyrant-like behavior in various Western governments, including our own, and, more notably, the Australians. COVID. Is it still science-informed, or are po politics really shaping the narrative today? And the Olympics. They're almost over. Thank goodness, but at what cost were the games run at? And I'm not talking about just the cost of financing the games. A few other things. All right, so let's go into the residential school system issue, that um, residential school graves and ground plane trading radar. And thankfully, this is happening. This is a good thing that they are doing these surveys at various residential school areas. Um, there has been uh, information that... The first one that did this says they have 300 or so unmarked graves. 350, I believe, was the number they were saying about that. And now they did specify that those are believed graves. They have to exhume them to find out if they are. The ground parade training radar is saying the earth has been moved. It's probably been dug up. Whether a body is in there or not is something else. And they've been doing some in Saskatchewan, some in northern Alberta, some in Northwest Territories, some in BC. Um, not in the Northwest Territories, but like, you know, in... in Manitoba and various northern, northern of the province and the southern tips of the province, basically wherever they knew these residential schools were. Um, 
in BC, there was one where they did it around a known gravesite, and they said, oh, there's now a bunch of unmarked graves at this known graveyard. Except that the people who live there are stating that some of the graves had their markers destroyed through, like, deteriorated through old age, or they were moved, and the markers weren't properly moved with them. So there's a bit of information about that. And frankly, I hope the surveys both continue and that they do exhume these grounds to find out are there bodies and are there people who were buried here or was it like a plot that was dug up for like you know dig a ditch and fill it back in sort of thing i'm like you honestly hope it's the dig a ditch and fill it back in but the odds are it's probably not and we need to get accountability from the religious institutions that ran these schools and the governments that gave these religious school or institutions these schools to run Remember, the residential school system was run mostly by the Catholic Church under the auspice of the Canadian government. It was requests of the Canadian government to run these churches, to force assimilation onto the native people, to basically... It was pretty much like kidnapping the native children. In fact, in some cases, I believe that's exactly what it was. Other cases, it was more like... Not like forced kidnapping, but like, you guys aren't going to fit in in the world if you don't send your kids here. You're not going to benefit from the govern the institutions that are going to exist in the near future so you better send your kids here so they can at least integrate into society properly anyway the thought my thought process on this is this is a tragedy the religious organizations that ran these schools need to be held accountable specifically the individuals if they're still alive and the groups that knew that they were doing this the individuals who knew this was happening and the individuals who acknowledged it and allowed it to happen. Terrible. As well as the government. Because the government probably had a ton of documentation on this. Via, you know, they probably had tons of documentation of kids disappearing. Well, why aren't you sending investigators to go look at the schools? That's, that's something I need to, I believe needs to be opened up. I believe government um, vaults of information need to be ripped apart and opened up for people to observe. Because I fear that there are state secrets that are being held from us. Unfortunately, politics is being played here, and that the powers that be, the powers in charge right now, the party in charge, in fact, the leader of the party in charge, Justin Trudeau, may be using this as a sympathy, even though, you know, to be sympathetic and seem like, oh, I really care about these kids. And he probably has a deep shock of this, but could there have been information that he could have released to know this? And I'm saying this because he promised on his first election that he would ensure that there'd be no boil water advisories by the time he asked for a second election in any of the reservations and um, First Nations um, territories in Canada. So far, that's not true. As far as I know, almost none of them have been able to leave the boil water advisory. The power of the federal government, they can't even do that. So I fear that this is, um, he's virtue signaling. And what I hope is that he honestly didn't know or have any documentation to his access that would have said, hey, we did this crap, uh, we knew this happened, but I suspect that if he wanted to know, he could have known about this way ahead of time. And also, I think I would take him a little more seriously if he released all the documents. As soon as the first one came, I was like, hey, we found, unfortunately, in this school near Kamloops, like, tons of graves that we now need to exhume to find out if there was people here. And if he had just said, okay, Here's all the documentation of the residential schools. Here's everything, including stuff that was never released before. Just take it all, go through it. We're so sorry this happened. 
I think I'd be a little more trusting of him for that. Now, what's followed up is because this was near the end of June when this happened, and right near Canada Day, there were people who were saying, oh, we shouldn't celebrate Canada Day. Canada's got nothing to be proud of for this past. I agree that that event is terrible, that these residential schools were absolutely terrible, and we need to be better educated on it. I only knew when I went through my education at high school and junior high and elementary school, practically nothing about it. The only thing I was ever taught properly was the First Nations, you know, ch- changed from, you know, Indians to, to First Nations to Natives, you know, all these various terms versus the, you know, um, and also how we changed the, uh, the definition and name of the Natives who lived in the North versus Inuit and all that stuff. That's all I ever knew. I didn't even know about these government institutionalized school systems that were run by churches and had this terrible history about them. And that's a tragedy, and I think the governments should teach that tragedy. A government that teaches and, and um, retroactively, not retroactively, but is willing to look back on its mistakes and say, here's something we did wrong, we need to make sure this doesn't happen again, and teaching you about it's a good way to do it. I would feel much better about that. My lack of information on this, besides from what's happening, is just, I'm aghast by some of this. Now, what I'm going to speak on next is the church vandalism that followed up and the arson that also happened at various churches. This is misplaced anger that doesn't think. It creates a zero-sum game. Oh, this happened a long time ago, so now I'm going to burn your church in, or I'm going to put this... And some of the churches that were targeted had nothing to do with this. In Calgary, for example, there was a Vietnamese church that was targeted. Vietnamese church that didn't even exist when the residential school systems were going on, yet alone would have managed the residential school system. This church exists to assist Vietnamese refugees and people from Southeast Asia who are coming from those places who want to integrate into Canada as Christians. That's what they do. They work in the northeast of Calgary, in the predominantly immigrant uh, communities, to give them help. Why would vandalizing that church do anything? And thankfully so far, as it has been over a month since this all started, we have not had a case where a church has been burned with somebody inside of it. I feared that was going to happen, and I feared that that would have been the event that was like, okay, now we're going to take this seriously. And I think a lot of the vandalism that happened wasn't taken seriously by the powers that be. Oh, church burns, so what? It would have been completely different. It had been a government municipal building or a government provincial building or a federal office that they knew had would have overseen the residential school system residential school in their area imagine if the Kamloops federal building like you know the small federal office or like the MP's office there had been set on fire because it's like well you represent the federal government and we knew that you guys gave tacit admission to the uh, Catholic church to run these schools and basically said do what you can do what you want I think there would have been way more outcry about the vandalism if that had happened. I think the, the reason that there would have been more outcry is the government would have taken the threat seriously. Instead of being like, oh, those Christians again. It doesn't help anyone. It just causes more problem for people who pro- had minimal involvement at best. The vast majority of them probably had no involvement. Who you want to have accountable is the people who ran it in the institutions. And when I say institutions, I mean like the top end of the institutions that would have had knowledge of these events, had documentation of this. Like, the the churches had offices in the Vatican. Like, the Canadian federal government in Ottawa. They would have had documentation on this. 
Those are who should be held accountable. The bureaucracies that run that. Not an not a individual minister who his first church, he's got his first church, he's at a seminary, he's like a 35-year-old pastor for a church in downtown Edmonton, and bam, they spray-paint his door, which, as far as I know, a church in Edmonton was not spray-painted. But I'm just using that as an example. What did he do? He's 35 years old. He just became a pastor. It's his first church he's been assigned to, and all of a sudden he wakes up, he comes to work one day, and it's like, oh, great, 350 and blood, like fake blood and, you know, handprints and spray paint and all this over my thing. I had nothing to do with any of this. The people, my bishop only got, like, you know, whatever, assigned to this position five years ago. He's never been involved in any of this. They're targeting the wrong people. They're targeting the easy people. And I don't think that helps the matter. In fact, we know it doesn't help the matter. Generally, it causes more conflict in the end at all. But as I keep thinking about this, it's just, why? Let's get the documentation out there. Let's try to get the history out here. Let's teach our current generations the mistakes of our past generations so we don't keep doing them. And let's stop putting these barriers up between each other their, um, for the sake of political ideologies and political convenience and say, okay, we need to get together to start fixing the problems of the past. And if the government can say, oh, the liberals of yesteryear are not the liberals of today, then shouldn't if everyone gets to play, if the liberals get to play that game and they're the ones in power, shouldn't the people out of power, the people who have nothing to do with it, shouldn't they get to do the make same move as well? Oh, we're not involved in this. You know, we were our first attempt at power is recent versus what yours is. If, if the liberals get to wipe the slate clean and act like it's not their fault, then there's a lot of other people who who, uh, who should be just as heavily blamed who don't get that right. That seems a bit politically exp politically uh, convenient to me. So then going back to the whole July 1st, Canada Day, the keeping the flags of the half-staff, is this going to be a permanent wound that we're just going to keep hearing about? I imagine it's going to be old news that's not going to be there anymore. We're just going to keep hearing about it. It's like, oh, whatever. Which is going to be even worse. Tragedies are only effective teachers if they're not overplayed. And by overplayed, I don't mean the people who suffered from this. I don't mean the natives. I'm talking about spineless uh, spineless virtue signalers who are doing nothing to help the situation. The natives want answers. They want to improve their situation. Good for them. The, uh, the people who are going around spray-painting the churches in Calgary, are they going to improve the situation? No. They made it worse. Those people should be told to shut up. Either go help help in some native reservations, or get the hell out of the way. You're not helping the problem. And that's what I mean. It's a zero-sum game. If this, if this is how the government and the people who are aghast by this, like, just, oh, this is terrible, but those churches are bad. Okay, get in line. There's a lot of problems that have to be solved in this world. That's one of them. The residential school system, past, needs to be talked about, needs to have a lot of education on, needs to be cleaned up. Now, Let's move over to something a little less uh, heated. <laughs> let's take a little break. Uh, let's run into The Tomorrow War, starring Chris Pratt. That was a fun movie. It's on Amazon Prime. Uh, you can tell they really didn't have a lot of uh, military advi technical advisors on that film. Or if they did, they really threw, the, threw it out because uh, they wanted to tell the story a certain way. Uh, some of the stuff gnawed me like, just nodded my brain, like, uh, I, I watched the movie, it was like, okay, and then 
when I woke up the next day, there were issues with the movie I just couldn't get over. It's like tactical expertise that was completely not there. The movie's still good. It's still a good movie, nonetheless. But it's just things that I couldn't, like, really? This is how they're doing it? Like, okay. And if you watch the movie, you might see the issues I have with it. Uh, one of the ones I've been liking is a lot of the gun YouTubers have been saying, like, okay, this is the machine gun they're going to have in the future. Also, they're going to send these guys in seven days into the future. And some, the soldiers who exist they're sending through, it's like they have some military training. But they're literally going to give them just assault rifles, tell them to shoot full auto, which it seems like they have the infinite ammo cheats on, and uh, not teach them how like what they're fighting against or what they're effectively engaged with and how to effectively engage these targets. It's, like, a little too much like the, um, like, um, I forget who was, um, one of the reviewers I watched said, the training scene scene is a lot like, um, Starship Trooper, except even technically worse, like, it's just not good. I agree. Now, maybe there's a story reason they did it. I feel like the story around certain things. Chris Pratt was still very good in it. J.K. Simmons is amazing in it. There's a like, good actors in it. Very well done acting. Um, feels like there's two endings, really. Like, there's one ending, it's like, okay, we can do this. And then they had to pad it out to get another 35 minutes of the movie or so. And you can see how the second ending makes more sense. But it feels like they got to a point of... They wrote a first ending that made sense, that was possible. And then they're like, oh, this... Wouldn't it be better if we had a better ending? And it feels like the, that was like, oh, let's put climate change in as one of the reasons why this is happening. If it was a little more explained, um, not just, oh, convenient, here's a climate change issue, thrown in, does this feel like it was a last-minute addition to make the movie longer to give them a better ending? I feel like they could have just done a better ending without the climate change claim. But, whatever. It was still good. I might buy a physical copy of it at some point, but not right now. It was a fun film, nonetheless. Um, you know, the tactical thing just kind of like, oh, gosh. But it was only after the fact. Watching the movie while I was watching it didn't really mind me. It was just having, like, 12 hours to think on it is where it really brought it forward. Oh, that's what I've been doing. Um, playing Horizon Zero Dawn on PC. Um, doing a Borderlands 1 playthrough with a friend. Um, work, doing some Valheim stuff. Um, now I get Minecraft working on my new rigs. Haven't done that yet. Uh, what else? I had a hankering to download and play Dead Rising 2 again, and I don't know if I will or not. Uh, I've been playing through, uh, doing a recent playthrough of Resident Evil 4. Because, you know, Resident Evil 4 is just Resident Evil 4. I've got to play through Death Stranding. Um, well, something else had my mind. I don't I can't remember. It was another game that sort of like... I wanted to play, oh, the new uh, Legend of Zelda, well, not new Legend of Zelda, Legend of Zelda Skyward Sword for Nintendo Switch has come out. I haven't gotten a copy of it yet, haven't decided to play it. I've been holding off on a few things. Uh, going out shooting with some friends this week coming up, which should be very fun. Hopefully that goes very well, very well. That reminds me, i got to uh, post in the group for that. Now, let's go back to some more serious stuff. And by serious, I mean some of it's only serious, some of it's clownish. Uh, the Canadian federal election and the Calgary civic election are both coming up this year. Um, one is in October, one is in late September. At least I think they're thinking the federal election is going to be September 20th or 21st or somewhere around that. Basically six weeks from now. Probably more like the 26th or 25th. And I guess I, oh, I was just watching a Tim Kennedy uh, 
video on YouTube for a second there. Sorry about that. But I'm sorry. I can't get excited about the federal election. If Trudeau wins again, then it shows that the only way to win a federal election in Canada is to literally just give give Quebec what they want and then pay off Ontario. And you you're the you're the ruling party of Canada. You can treat Atlantic Canada like a piece of junk, but still get but still if you give them enough money, give them enough reasons with the uh, redistribution of wealth code um, via the equalization payment, they can still always get it. Um, Manitoba is sort of can understand, but like they're farmers. Saskatchewan, oh, they're completely farmers and rednecks. And Alberta, they're oil workers. Who cares about them? Um, maybe give some lip service to the BC and try to convince a few NDPers that you're on their side. And it seems like that's how you win. You really don't create a true, like the Canadian federal government isn't very good at representing all of Canada. There are many microcosms in Canada that just seem to be, oh, we don't care about them. Oh, we're not going to listen to them. Oh, we don't need their votes to win, so why would we ever bother with them? And I think proportional representation would be much more efficient and and disastrous um, for ruling parties. It would be much more efficient for, I think, the Canadian public because we'd have our representatives um, based on population percentages versus, uh, you know, based on the total percentage of the vote. Which means if the Conservatives got 35% of the vote and the Liberals got 36, like the Liberals are only going to get 36% of the seat and the Conservatives are going to get the other 35. There will probably never be a majority again, which would be great because then government wouldn't be able to do much, although coalitions then form and fall apart. And Unfortunately, probably what would happen is the Liberals and the NDP would always form coalitions because they'd somehow be able to get to 52% or something like that to make sure they'd be in power, probably just trading the buck between the two continuously, and just keep shaving rights off and increasing entitlement spending with no plans to ever pay it off. As of right now, it looks like Canada's uh, first balanced budget jit that would be deficit neutral would probably be 2070 at this point. That would be the first time we could get a balanced budget. Isn't that great? 2070. Only no, just you know, just 49 years from now, we'll actually be able to pay for the debts we have. What's the point? What is the frickin' point? And if we're just going to slam all this debt and extreme spending on our population with the myth that we are such an amazing country when our healthcare system is in shambles, couldn't even survive COVID... This is a proof of if the healthcare system can't survive, that's why we went into lockdowns. And it shows that we should have no pride in our healthcare system, be it that they are provincially managed and federally assist, federally funded. This shows, by and large, the one-size-fits-all universal payer, your uh, universal um, healthcare system does not allocate resources correctly. When the system's about to fail because everyone's getting the same illness, what do they do? Okay, you stay at home. We'll take care of the few that we can. Don't do anything. Wait your turn. Versus, hey, let's re, let's price structure in the obviously that's going to happen rationing of care. Let's make price structure so that people who are going to come in with uh, bleeding noses because they fell off a swing set are going to be facing a different um, economic consequence or financial consequence to them going in and wasting the time of the ER versus somebody who's got a got run over by a train 
and he's got his leg cut off, and he's got a tourniquet on, and he could bleed out, and he, or a gunshot wound victim, or, you know, a little kid with the sniffles, both sitting and taking time, and always, like, the parents are always taking him to the ER every single time, oh, he got a little sniff, gotta go to the ER, and blocking somebody else from needing care. I think that there should be upfront pays and service charges that should go to the individuals who could be then reimbursed by the government if it turns out the case was, oh, this wasn't a person who's been habitually abusing the healthcare system by continuously going back and forth. But alas, that's my view on healthcare. Anyway, the federal government, this federal election is just going to be a joke because I can't vote for the conservatives. They're not effective at actually taking care of the economics of Canada. The liberals don't care about economics. They just, what they promise whatever they want to win. Trudeau really believes that his continuous throwing out of money to grieved groups and to rec- and to people who don't want to work and to people who, you know, have an excuse not to work. Um, basically, people, and, you know, paying people to not work even, who could be working, who could be economically benefiting this country. He's just going to keep paying off the groups that he knows are probably going to vote for him. The NDP... I suspect that they're not going to have a great showing because Singh is not a strong leader. He capitulated to Trudeau when they formed a, a government and didn't challenge Trudeau on every promise that Trudeau made with them. <clears throat> it turned out was false and he had no intention of doing. And there's a lot of information that seems to we know next to nothing about. It seems like the Nova Scotia shooter, um, the Halifax shooter, we still know next to nothing about that. And that's kind of weird. Let's see. Oh, oh, there was another shooting in Halifax recently. That's great. That's great. It was in June. Oh, man. Seems like there's been a few shootings in Halifax now. Uh, you know. Uh, let's see. Anything about the Nova Scotia shooting? Uh, Nova Scotia attacks. Well, still under investigation. Uh, pretty much the most recent thing is just, you know, public inquiry. Interesting. They said they're going to give... It took till October 21st for them to establish a uh, commission on it. The interim report is not supposed to be delivered until May 2022. Holy crap. Almost nearly two years. Like, what? Two years after the event, we're not even going to get an interim report? How can this happen? What the frick? This is just, what? There's so much information here that we don't know anything about. How did this guy get away with this? Also, the political reaction going through to this, uh, going through to the, what are they calling it? The 2020 Nova Scotia attacks. Like, the way how the politics were just ban firearms, increase gun laws, and then nothing else. Oh, and, and oh, here's another thing. Uh, I think the, the RCMP were confronted based on uh, misogyny and gender rules. What the frick? Like, you, you, this is a mess. I don't think we'll ever get a proper report from this. And I think the, the RCMP and the federal government are the reason why we're never going to get a proper report on uh, the 2020 Nova Scotia shootings. Because it embarrasses them that all their intelligence services and everything they need to know to stop a crime, it completely failed. Every law, like the guy's guns he used, were either illegally possessed via the U.S. through smuggling or were taken off of a police officer after he killed them. What's the point of gun laws if the criminals can just circumvent them by not caring about them. That's how I view the Canadian government. The Canadian government puts all these laws on the law-abiding systems. The law-abiding systems are like, okay, fine. Criminals are like, oh, great. These guys aren't going to fight back. And the police 
after what happened in Nova Scotia are so dim-witted and so slow in response that we can honestly get away with it. I hate that that's a possibility. But it seems like there's a lot of failings high up. Like, you know, one of the things with the Halifax shootings, I, the first time I brought this up before, was our, two RCMP officers see a police car at a fire station, they think it's the shooter's car, and shoots it into the fire station. Could have, could have wounded or killed police, police and firefighters who were at that station at that time. Could have seriously damaged firefighting equipment, which meant that they may have not been able to respond to a fire and save somebody else's life. Like, there's obviously a lot of problems in this. And the federal government oversees the RCMP, and if they can't even give us a report for another fucking year on this, and that's the interim report, that's not even the full report, and the public inquiry we're hearing nothing from. I think there's something, I think there's a lot of bad things that the federal government either knew about and is not going to disclose, or, or I think this inquiry is completely just a, oh, we're sorry, um, here are things that everyone already knows, we're going to hash them out for a thousand dollars. I think it's just meant to buy time until somebody can think of a better reason of what they're going to do. And possibly destroy government evidence that they knew who this guy was and knew what he was going to do and possibly even paid for some of this to happen. I don't know. I don't like that a conspiracy could explain the Nova Scotia shooter and how slow it's been. But it seems like there's, like, just... I don't know. It's got too much... It doesn't have enough of the Las Vegas, like, oh, he just went crazy and shot up some people. It seems a little too, like strange the las vegas shooter wasn't on anybody's radar until it happened he was a little odd but nothing really that odd a very wealthy dude but still kind of creepy uh based on what we know from him now I doesn't look like any watch list would have done a damn thing but you know that's neither here nor there but the nova scotia guy looks like he had a history of dealing with the police which brings even more questions in. If he had dealt with the police, either as as some people have complained, he, um, not complained, said uh, he was an informant. Some people have said that he had criminal history that the police knew about. Um, he had interaction with drug dealers, smugglers. It seems like if either side is true, somebody dropped the ball. If none of that is true, and he was just another Las Vegas-like shooter... It shows that the laws aren't going to stop this from happening. Because these guys who are motivated... Now, this guy obviously planned because he had a uniform that looked like police. He bought a retired police car and redressed it like it was police. This seems a little too planned. And much like the Las Vegas shooter, like, there's a, a little too much work went into this to make it think, like, oh, somebody's missed something. I don't know. Anyway, going back to the election stuff... I don't know what's going to happen. I'm, I'm not going to vote in this one either. My vote in a in a ward that's going to go to the conservatives anyway or doesn't really matter. And frankly, my vote isn't going to change how parliament shapes up. It would have been more proportional representation, but it doesn't. And if Canada enforces mandatory voting, I'm just going to go and write, like, you know, just put a little dick or something on my ballot if they ever did that because... The people, the parties are all shit. The Libertarian Party I would vote for, but they're not going to get enough candidates to do it, and they're purposely held out by the big parties. The Greens, their only thing is environment, and I don't think they have any 
legitimate solutions to the environment. Wind and solar are not going to do it because the way to fund wind, power wind and solar is through coal in China, which is a more dangerous greenhouse gas than nuclear reactors and uh, natural gas plants here in North America, but whatever. And the Calgary city government is having an election. Thankfully, we're, we're going to get a new mayor this time because of the old mayor stepping down. Quite a few... Um, quite a few candidates, um, not aldermen, councillors, I guess what they are, are to be called, have stepped down and stepped aside, not running for re-election again. So we could clean slate and get a very nice, efficient city council out of it. But the unions still have a moderate control over various institutions in the bureaucracy. And people like, yes, like uh, handouts. Oh, I want my new Flames Arena. Oh, I want another community center and I don't want to pay for it. Oh, um, I want a better school, but I don't want my tuition fees to, I don't want uh, taxes to be risen. Oh, I think corporate offices should pay huge in taxes, but damn it, don't you dare raise mine. Oh, I absolutely think that uh, commercial and industrial property should be taxed like 70% more than what I would be. I think the minimum wage should be brought up. It's just, oh, I think we should have bike lanes everywhere. Uh, and then when they finally buy a house where they need where bike lanes out front, it's like I can't park outside of my house because the bike lanes there, and I didn't want to get a garage. People who vote in civic elections seem to be people who are pro road diets, who are actually anti city, who don't understand why cities and urbanization efforts do happen. Urbanization is a good way to save land, and if what you do is then you make it disruptive to live in the city, people start to leave the city. If you overtax, if you underprovide the services, overpay, overcharge the people for the services, the police aren't responding, the fire department is slow, um, you know, your your business license fees are too high, um, your enforcement of various infractions are insane. Um, you don't uh, inform the populace when you're doing road work and new planning of uh, new streets and stuff like that around them. We're like, oh, we're going to turn this road one way, but we didn't. T- but the people we uh, dealt with weren't people who lived on our street. Oh, um, we're going to view a successful uh, consultation session as seeing a hundred people when the community has like eight thousand people living in it that it will affect. Or when something does happen, the government says, oh, you got to rebuild it the way it was. We're not going to give you a permit for new and old, new and used technology, new technology that would make the place even more efficient. Or if you do, you're, we're not going to give you the drive-through back, like what happened with the Dairy Queen that burned down. If they're going to stand in the way of making things better by the claim of, oh, we're bike lanes and larger sidewalks are going to make the world better place. Meanwhile, oh, we're going to restrict traffic. It's like, damn it, I can't, I can't bike a fridge from the brick to my house. But people who want to see bike lanes everywhere don't consider that. Like, oh, I don't need to drive. Oh, you're pretty privileged if you don't need to drive. And I hate that I had to use that word privilege, but it's like, you're pretty lucky in the scheme of the world where you think that you have the option of driving or biking into work and that um, cars should get out of your way. I saw it earlier this week when I was driving. Bicycle just, you know, rode rode on, was riding on the sidewalk, which you're not supposed to do. This was an older guy. And he just, he didn't, he rode through as if he was a pedestrian. Okay, fine. Then, that's a little weird. It's like, you're supposed to get off your bike to do it. And there was another guy who completely rode through a red light because, oh, it was a pedestrian walkway going for them. He's like, I don't care. It's like, dude, there's people crossing in front of you. 
who is just like, no, I'm just going to ride through a stoplight where it's just a, cr- just a crossing for people. No, I'm not stopping. I'm riding right through it. It's like, dude, you're, when you're on the road, you're a car. When you're off the road, you're not allowed to be on your bike. You have to be walking beside it unless it's on a dedicated bike path. But, gosh. These guys want it both ways. Oh, well, I'm on the road in my car. Cars need to give me the right of way whenever I want. Oh, it's a red light. I'm now a pedestrian. I'm now crossing on the crosswalk. I hate those. I hate that thought. And I got friends who are bicyclists who actually do the right thing every time. Or as many times as they can. They don't cause the problems. Some guys, it's like, you're on the shoulder. You're supposed to ride single wide. Oh, I'm going to ride three wide because we all want to talk to each other. Oh, the car who wants to turn into the... And now we're riding in the deceleration lane for a turn. No, I'm not going to move out of my way. That car can come to a complete screeching halt behind me. You should be hit. I hate that, that I even have that rage about, but they're just insufferable, that group of people. If they stay wide, if they stay off to the side and into the shoulder and or into proper bike lanes where they're not obstructing traffic, you're no problem with them. Or if they're going to special bike paths and stuff like that or having a good time. Or if they're riding on the road but they're being respectful to the cars around them. But if they're just going to block the road and think the cars have to give them everything. No. Then we have the Delta variant of COVID coming back. Well, at least not coming back, but reaching North America. It seems like it's mostly done in Europe. Uh, Sweden seems to be really, really winning from their no lockdown, no forcing people to do anything strategy. I think the world's coming to the fact that this COVID, COVID-19, or at least like the various versions of COVID-19, are going to force the flu vi- the seasonal flu virus out of existence. And that we're going to be seeing seasonal COVID running, coming around. And I think the world just doesn't know how to make that adjustment, even though we can do it relatively easily. But now we're dealing with like increased tyranny following up from that, which we'll kick in in a second. But it doesn't look like Delta was as bad as it could have been. It seems like it was faster at infecting people, but it wasn't as deadly based on the speed of infection as, it, as people were saying it was. At least earlier. It seems like within three weeks, it pretty much is burning itself out of the UK. Now, as I guarantee, no, but it's just interesting how um, how the UK did this harsh lockdown. Uh, well, how not really a lockdown, but like brought back um, wearing masks, and now they're they're getting to the point of okay, it's well, obviously we're beyond this now. But it seems to be effectively protecting your population which means stopping people who have it from coming from other countries, bringing it in. Unfortunately, because of the incubation period, it seems like the, the tests that we have been relying upon are not reliable enough because somebody could get it and it could incubate for up to 14 days. They could get it 20 minutes before getting it in the airplane and it won't be visible until after they, get, until after they land in the city they're coming to after they've had two, th- two or three negative tests. And it's like, oh, day 16. It's like, oh, now I'm caught. And... Then we got the thing of, oh, these breakthrough infections, except it turns out these breakthrough infections aren't as bad as the media was portraying them as. And it turns out that most of the people who had breakthrough infections, breakthrough infections, weren't even really getting sick. They were getting, like, mild colds. And they had, basically, when they were transmitting it to people, even if they were unvaccinated, they weren't seeing high sickness rates from those, even. So it's a little odd. Granted, the science of Delta and all this is still being studied, so I could be completely wrong in hindsight in the next six months. 
But I think there's been a lot of overhyping the fear and underhyping the reality and under like underappreciating the reality. It seems like there's a lot of people who politically gain from various things related to COVID, which leads to the next category of the increased tyranny behavior from Western governments and people in the West who are protesting or petitioning Western governments to be more tyrannical. Australia has continuously gone into lockdowns, which seems to have done nothing. Their COVID zero policy, much like New Zealand, has largely failed because every time they get out of a lockdown, four people get sick. We need to go back into a lockdown. I do not believe COVID zero, at least now, is possible unless total travel around the world is completely stopped for almost for a very long time. I don't know if the vaccines are going to be able to make that successful, but Australians are just going through hell. And it's annoying that they've called in the police and now they've called in the military to assist in enforcing these curfews and lockdowns. It means that the Australian government has no solution besides from battering their population into you will submit. I hope the next election the people say, we don't trust anybody, we're voting you out. We're going to vote in a group who won't lie to us. I hope that there's a group that won't lie to them to run, but I doubt it. But it seems like COVID's gone from a science-informed decisions to politically expedient and uh, directed. Oh, it's politically more better for us if you, even though you've got your vaccines and the odds of you catching it and transmitting it are now extremely low compared to what it was, now you should still wear a mask in various places. Oh, uh, you need to wear a mask and school is probably going to need to be full mask, but uh, we can have uh, 3 million people come out to a massive, massive rock rally over the weekend without any problem because we need tax money. Oh, we need to worry about COVID in a city that has three times the murder rate from firearms in the same period of time. It seems like there's these solutions to COVID that are being portrayed by the powers that be are only politically expedient for them to basically get their agendas through. They're not solving the COVID problem. They're solving us questioning them. They just keep saying, oh, it's a COVID-related reason, which is why we're pushing this issue. And then you start looking at it like, well, there's, no, there's not a lot of COVID in why you're saying, no, oh, no, 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 no. Can't question us COVID. And now, finally, ending in slightly less depressing, I hope, the Olympics and the costs of the games. So, we finally are practically done with the 2020, which actually happened in 2021, Tokyo Olympics. And boy, what an expensive games they have been. Uh, what are the 2020 Olympics? What is the cost of the games? I highly, let's see, um... We had 11,000 athletes next to no attendees for, um, next to no, uh, you know, guests, uh, you know, what are they called? Uh, you know, frick, I'm trying to remember, um, uh, you know, next to no spectators were allowed. Allowing the Russians to, um, to again, take place in, uh, you know, the Russians are allowed to play, but, uh, what do they do? Um, you know, the Russian Olympic Committee getting to play even after the, you know, Russian state-organized doping situation. It seems like there was no attempt to really step that back. China won in, medal, China won in the um, gold count, although the United States won 108 medals in total, which are quite impressive. That's amazing. The game's cost are just insane. Do we even know how much they cost? Uh, let's see. 2020... 
Second cost, uh, spending top $20 billion, at least $1 billion for putting it on, uh, there's, I think, at least $1 billion to put the games on hold. Most, that's, like, only Sochi, I think, was more expensive as an Olympic event. But Summer Olympics, this is one of the most expensive. And that's even excluding the uh, the year delay. If you don't count the year delay, it's still one of the most expensive Olympics ever done. I think a lot of countries and cities are going to start seeing, like, and what's the benefit? The IOC gets 70% of the digital media rights payments, and NBC and a few other places get a bit, but everyone else has to, like, you know, NBC got an exclusive for the United States with the IOC, but everyone else has to pay the IOC. Um, athletes couldn't even put, like, Instagram stories of themselves winning or videos of themselves on Twitter that was of their own copy or whatever, because the IOC was just like, no, nope, no, nope, you can't do that. I think the IOC needs to go from a financing of the games to literally only regulating that the games are done fairly and without drugs and should have almost no financial capability. I think the games should be minimally financed, like building these massive venues that always end up in squalor, besides from very few cases where they're demolished. Most of the cases, they're demolished or abandoned. Very few times are they even kept up to date. It's just a fleecing of the city and partially the country that's hosting the games. Why would you want them? I don't think that the Olympics are even worthy anymore. Yeah, there's this whole idea of going onto the world stage and playing sports with each other, and, you know, it's a way to not start wars. And I agree, that's fun. It's nice to see comp competitive spirit all around the world. I don't think you need these grandiose facilities to do it in. I don't think you need these super expensive custom-made villages that rarely, rarely are sold for profit. In fact, more often than not, have to be rented out or pushed, or sometimes even torn down because they're so unique they aren't even useful as other buildings. I think it would be easier also to spread the areas out. Have like multiple sites handle multiple Olympics. This place has amazing aqua centers. Run the aqua centers there. This place has got amazing tracks outside. Run the centers there. Instead of building massive stadiums. And this time they built these massive stadiums and they couldn't even have any spectators in. Why would you do it? So I hope going forward, multiple nations start just like not even going to the Olympics. Which means that only authoritarian or like dictatorship-like states are going to actually go for it. States that literally don't care about human rights and could just throw money at it. Like China and Russia will continue to do it again. And probably Middle Eastern countries will now go to force the Olympics. Like, Qatar's got the World Cup. Is it Qatar or the UAE? One of those two of the World Cup. And their, um, their track record isn't super great. And, but they would totally pay for having the Olympics. Because they have no... They don't care if it, they get... If they get super cheap labor to build their buildings. For them, that's par for the course. Europe and North America and the Western countries get fleeced doing this because we have to pay real wages to get it versus bringing in near slave labor to do it. So why would you even do it? I don't think any Western country should do the Olympics anymore, and I think all Western countries should pull out of the Olympics. They didn't help their they didn't help Greece for the Greek Olympics. They didn't help anybody else since so let's just end them. Anyway, I think that's uh, we should end an episode on that. This has been season four, episode twelve. A real cheese a real burger with cheese, please. Thank you for tuning in and hopefully I'll have another episode up for you soon. Thank you again, and bye.